Welcome to Formula 101. I'm Peyton, and this is not your average race recap of Formula 1 races. I'm going to be talking about a lot of exciting things both on and off the track, and I'm so happy you guys are listening with me. Uh this is going to be a fun ride, so thanks for coming along. So we're back with another installment of this mini series. This is the ABCs of F1. And so if you're new here, a quick explainer for these shorter episodes. I'm breaking down a lot of the kind of basic terminology of Formula 1 because as a new fan when I first joined the sport, I found that there was a lot of jargon and a lot of language that the commentators said and that the drivers talked about that I didn't quite know, and so it took me a while to really understand the full picture of the sport. So these quick little episodes kind of break down those terms that you might hear and it'll make it a lot easier for you the next time around you watch a race. So as always, I'm going to take it letter by letter. I'm going A through Z. We're doing all the letters, and I pick a few terms under each of them and explain them as best as I can, as simple as I can. And today we're going through P, Q, and R. So we're, I don't know, maybe 3/4 of the way through or or partially, maybe 2/3. But before I move on, I do want to briefly mention the race in Baku this last weekend. Uh, as a Seb fan, I have to say I was more than excited to see him on the podium alongside Checo and Pierre. I'm wearing my Aston Martin hoodie right now recording this. It was a pretty wild race. It was exciting. I'm interested to hear what what Pirelli will have to say about the tire failures of Max and Lance. But nonetheless, it was really refreshing to have this kind of entirely different podium and to see Sebastian succeed with Aston Martin and how they really supported him. But now, we're going to start with P. And the first term under P I want to talk about is Parc Fermé, which I may be saying wrong, forgive me, I don't speak French, but it actually means closed park in the French language. And so this is where, so this is an actual space, a location that the teams in a sense are turning their cars over to the FIA for scrutiny and regulatory judgment. So the FIA has to make sure that the teams are following the rules. That's that's the point. Uh they have to make sure that the cars aren't too light, that they aren't cheating with some illegal part. um you know that they aren't skirting the line in any fashion that's the FIA's job and so the teams are forced to bring their cars to this place for a specific amount of time i believe after qualifying and before the formation lap on race day so when you see a lot of shots of the cars lined up really close like they're boxed in in kind of a parking lot almost that's park for me So it's not like a building or anything like that. It's just a designated space that teams must leave their cars and not touch them so that the FIA can look over the cars and check to see if there are any infractions. And the point of Park Fermé aside from assuring that the teams aren't cheating is to restrict the amount of time that they can work on the car between sessions. So obviously the mechanics or the engineers can't be randomly swapping parts or making large changes to the cars between qualifying and the race. They can't be running little experiments or tests or in secret that might drastically alter the car's performance from day to day. So the cars are kept under close watch. 
Now, the only changes that a team is really able to make in Parc Forme is things like adding fuel to the car. They can change the tires. They can bleed the brakes. And maybe they can carry out minor changes to the front wing. But it's nothing major in any sense. And now in an article written actually by Red Bull on the Red Bull website after the Monaco Grand Prix this year, they stated that according to the regulations set by the FIA, competitors may, quote, not modify any part of the car or make changes to the setup of the suspension while the car is being held under park for May conditions. So if a driver or a team breaches this in any fashion, they must start the race from pit lane. So that makes their race a lot more difficult. It screws up their strategy. It's just unadvisable ever to break the rules of Park for May. And now things get tricky, kind of more blurry, I guess, when there's damage to the car, like in a big crash. And so Red Bull goes on to say that there can, of course, be damage that requires a replacement system. But some of these don't incur a penalty, like um, a gearbox or something. Changing a gearbox will incur a penalty if it's done before they've reached their limit for the season, but that's not the same as changing something really big during Park for May. That's just something that has to be changed in order for the car to race, and so that's going to incur a penalty regardless. Now, the second term that I want to talk about is the pits, which is uh, includes the pit wall and the pit box. So this is fairly self-explanatory, but I, I do want to break it down because even though the pits kind of appear to just be a strip of tarmac where the drivers change tires and where the mechanics and crew sit in the garages, it's an incredibly hectic but pivotal space on the racetrack because there are a multitude of parts that make it up. So you have the pit crew, which is a group of 20 plus individuals with very specific tasks that are necessary to work in perfect harmony the second the car slides into the pit box. So you have those on the wheels, you have the front and the back jackman, and these guys have to be in good shape as those wheel guns especially exert a lot of pressure and F1 cars aren't exactly lightweight. And so drivers actually can't see that much when they roll into that space, but it's important that they know when to stop and when to go. They need to be released in a safe manner. They need to trust the team is going to provide that lightning quick stop so that they can get back to racing. And we've seen instances very recently where issues in the pit lane have totally ruined races. Uh, Wrong tires have been put on, like mismatch ones. Uh, The driver hasn't stopped at the right time and slammed into the the front jack or the guy on the front jack, however you say that. Um, We saw in Monaco how an issue with the wheel gun saw the longest pit stop ever with Valtteri Bottas on his Mercedes as the wheel took a whopping 43 hours to remove. I think I heard that Ferrari was even helping out and taking a sledgehammer to the tire because I think the wheel nut had been welded in the process and was really difficult to take off. Now you also have the pit wall, which is where the team bosses and the strategists and the driver's race engineers will sit. So there's like a little covering opposite the garages. And usually the individuals are sitting on a stool and they stare at a bunch of screens, which has a lot of data and a lot of information 
TV broadcasts, things like that. And this is also where the radio messages go out. So it's who the drivers are talking to when they call in to complain about a strategy or call for blue flags or when they're called into pit. So these are the people saying box, box, box. Those are the people you hear on the radio. And obviously this means that communication is key in races as these guys have to figure out how best to react to other choices the teams are making if they're going to bring their driver in or keep them out. And so all of that occurs on the pit wall. And so the pits really include a lot more than just where the pit stops occur. There's a ton of exchange of information and data and all of that that goes on behind the scenes. Now moving on to the Q terms, there's only one that I'm going to touch on here because it got kind of long when I was writing this, but that is qualifying. And I want to look at the history actually of qualifying because it hasn't been the same this whole time. Now qualifying occurs at every single Formula One race, and it's not exclusive to Formula One as a procedure. And it hasn't always been, like I said, the Q1, Q2, Q3 that we have currently. Now, pole position or the fastest time in qualifying has always been a thing in some form, but the actual format of qualifying has had quite a few iterations over the years. Now, for a long time, roughly 1950 to 1996, there were two sessions in which the drivers would set times, one on Friday and one on Saturday and there were no fuel restrictions of any kind. And now the biggest issue with this format was that it meant a thrilling climax was far from guaranteed, especially if the conditions differed from day to day. Um, Someone could set a fastest time super early on Friday, and then maybe it rains on Saturday and no one sets a time anywhere near close to what was set on that Friday. But it obviously did last a, a long time for what, 46 years, so it was it was doing something right. But now in 1996, it did change into a system that lasted all the way up until 2002, and it was meant to be more appealing to television viewers because Formula One was getting a lot bigger on the screen. This one had a single one-hour session in which the drivers had a maximum of 12 laps to set the best time they could, so they had limited attempts, and there was a drawback to this one as well. They all kind of did. But the teams still had plenty of time, like an hour is a lot, but they wanted to have the best track conditions and space for their driver to go out. And they didn't want to get caught in traffic, and they didn't want to have a dirty track with a bunch of debris on it. So this translated to teams waiting a long time and waiting and waiting for other people to go out and technically clean the track for them. And so no one wanted to be the first one out. So it just translated to a lot of cars sitting in garages. And now in 2003, they had a single lap shootout only on Friday, where they literally gave the cars one lap to set a time. And then the following day on Saturday, the process would be repeated again to decide the final grid order, this time with the slowest driver from Friday going first and the fastest driver last. And now to skip all the way ahead to kind of 2016, I believe, there was a wild idea of starting this system where drivers would have at least a five minute window in Q1, Q2, and Q3 to set a time. But after that point, the slowest driver was eliminated after 90 seconds. I was super chaotic. I don't even think it was used for a whole season, maybe a few races, but now they've been, they've come back to the Q1, Q2, and Q3 system. 
Now, lastly, we have the R terms. The first one here is rumble strip, which isn't super common, but it it still bears kind of connection, I think, especially to relating back to my discussion of curbs in the past episodes and objects that signify track limits. So the F1 website describes rumble strips as bumpy, often sawtooth strips of curbing, usually found on the exit of a corner to warn the driver of the edge of the track. They're often referred to as alligator strips, and they have small, smaller bumps on the inside of the track, and they're bigger as you get further off track. And they're present also on highways and regular roads, and they're called rumble strips because when you drive over them, they rumble. They make the car vibrate, and they tell you, hey, you're on the edge, you're close to the edge, whatever that is, and they direct you to steer more towards the middle of the lane. And so with F1 cars, there is a simple but also more extensive purpose. So their whole purpose is to prevent surface wear on the inside and outside of these parts of the track. So there's motivation in having these strips for the track itself and less for the drivers because track surface repairs are extremely costly and they're not quick fixes either. But nonetheless, the drivers do have to learn how to work with these strips and how much or how little they can drive over them. They have to measure the impact on the tire and the suspension of the car when they come into contact with them. And now I'm not nearly adept enough to understand the physics behind it, but I think it's largely understandable that any type of curb can cause damage to some part of the car. Uh, if it's taken at the wrong speed or the wrong angle, and it can ruin lap times, qualifying results, races, all of that. So again, it's up to the drivers and their teams to figure out the best way to take the corner and hit the apex and get out of the corner the fastest. That's kind of the simple way to boil it down. Now, lastly, there are two more quick, very simple terms under the R umbrella. The first is the reconnaissance lap. So I'm not quite sure if for the F terms, I used formation lap as one of them, but this is essentially a synonym for a formation lap. This is a lap completed when the drivers leave the pits to assemble on the grid for the start. So they'll go all the way around the track and then line up on their spots on the grid. They wait for the lights to go out and then the race starts. So the reconnaissance lap doesn't count toward that total number you usually see like on the top left of your screen. Now the last R term is retirement. And this is not when you stop working and leave your job. Well, I take that back. It's when the driver or the car stops working from the race or for whatever reason that may be. So you may see drivers listed in the final lineup of a race after it's finished as DNF, and this stands for did not finish. And this is just another way to say that the driver retired from the race and dropped out because of an accident or a mechanical failure. So this could be because their engine went up in smoke, their tire failed, like we saw with Lance and Max and Baku, they got into a crash, anything like that. This is just an umbrella term for that. So it's just general, it's a a kind of catch-all for encompassing a driver who is unable to finish the race. So before I sign off, here's a little calendar update. We are headed to France next race uh, on the 18th to the 20th of June at Circuit Paul Ricard. So I hope I'll be able to catch this race live as I was unable to see Baku live. uh, And I certainly regretted it after the fact. But 
hopefully we'll get another good race there. And I will see you again in a few weeks for another episode of Formula 101. So thank you so much for listening to this one, and I will see you soon.